Sales Tuners, Episode 61, Brian Trouchel, Co-Founder at Ambition. Do I call people in Boston at 8.15? Do I call people in Chicago at 8.15, different time zones? Like starting to learn some of these, the nuances versus just coming in, slogging through the calls, slogging through the triage of email, and then leaving at 5.30. This is Sales Tuners with Jim Brown. The only weekly show where we talk about the behaviors, attitudes, and techniques that get sales reps and entrepreneurs to grow their revenue from $1 million to more than $10 million in just two years. It's time. It's time. It's Sales Sooner's time. I'm Jim Brown, your host, and our weekly inspiration comes from Tim Ferriss, who said, I discourage passive skepticism, which is armchair variety where people sit back and criticize without ever subjecting their theories or themselves to real field testing. Today, I'm joined by Brian Trouchel, co-founder and COO at Ambition, a gamification platform built to drive sales performance. Bryant left the boiler room-esque world of sales, selling servers for Hewlett-Packard, and jumped headfirst into the world of startups. He told me his proudest professional accomplishment is his consecutive outdoor three-on-three basketball championships. And I gotta say, if you're not a sports fan, you're probably not gonna like the references made in this conversation. Before we dive in, I wanna say a quick thank you to our sponsors. You've heard me talk about them for a couple of months now, but you have to check out Costello. It's a deal management platform that aligns frontline sales reps, managers, and VPs so they can work together to consistently close more deals. They help reps get the right deal information from prospects, give reps and managers visibility into the quality of every deal, and help sales leaders understand what's working and what's not. Check it out at andcostello.com. That's A-N-D-C-O-S-T-E-L-L-O.com. Make sure you stick around until the end where I'll give my recap and top takeaways. You can also check out all the links and show notes at salestuners.com slash 61. But now let's get to the conversation where Brian talks about his passion for helping salespeople accomplish and achieve more. I've been in the environment where our users are, where our managers are, uh, who, who use us as customers. And you know, I can remember how frustrating it was. I can remember how uh, at times soul crushing it was. And that excites me. If I can make those people's lives a little bit better, make managers a little bit more effective, hopefully make reps more money or, or keep them in the seat longer. I feel like that's that's making a, a powerful difference. And I get pretty I get pretty jazzed up about it. Well, I'm jazzed up myself. And, and just to talk about this today, because we operate in a similar space where you're providing those infrastructures and incentives and that kind of stuff around a platform basis. I'm kind of doing it on the personal basis. So I'm really excited about our conversation. Now, if I understand correctly, before we get into all that stuff, you may be making a career change here soon. And that's heading over to fill one of these uh, NBA GM vacancies. I'm sure you can empathize with this, right? Like as a founder, seeing like another business where people are managing talent, they're managing the cost structure. Like, you know, it's a fascinating environment in that for us in business, like, in, and as a, you know, SaaS startup founder, our wins are like less subtle, you know, like, is, or it's more subtle, I guess is how I put it. Whereas like an NBA team is very like obvious if it's working or not. Uh, and that as like a geek and a like, kind of finance nerd, like the whole effectiveness of how you construct a team and where the costs are and who's most most value for your dollar 
I get really, I get really into it. I spend a lot of time late night with like, you know, sadly people I don't know on the internet talking about this and my Twitter feed can probably overrun with the, the NBA GM talk. If you ever check me out there. As you know, in this show, we talk about the behaviors, attitudes, and techniques that have led to your success. Uh, and so besides the GM math that you have, talk to <laughs> me about your sales process today. What is ambition and why does a typical customer buy from you? Ambition is a sales management platform. We sit uh, effectively on top of the key data sources that where sales are happening. So that's CRM, that's phone system, that's sales acceleration tools. We bring in all of the the key, what we call activities, objectives, and outputs from those systems. So how many of all of these things are happening? What's the quality of them? What are they resulting in? And then we give managers, sales leaders, a tool, or call it a tool belt, really, of levers to change those behaviors, increase effectiveness, as well as give reps, who I think are the most important piece, more visibility into what's working, what's not working, where they stand versus their peers, how they're achieving their goals, what they could do to be better. And so we provide that visibility, accountability, and ultimately the transparency to uh, hopefully take a little bit more ownership and have a little bit more personal control on, on what's happening. We're going to talk all about this today as we continue to unpack uh, this whole theme of of the, the ambition product, but also how to just drive those behaviors and motivations. But Brian, you haven't always been the person that you are today. So take me way back. I alluded to HP, but how did you even get into sales? I graduated during the Great Recession in in '09. Um, I was a finance major. If you guys remember back then, it was uh, kind of not good time to be in finance. Yeah. I think every every Wall Street bank was laying people off versus hiring 22-year-olds. So, you know, I lucked into sales. I lucked into sales and in, in technology. Left college at Tennessee to go to Little Rock, Arkansas for Hewlett Packard's newest facility, sold servers and networking equipment. And um, you know, imagine a classic call center where there's there's hundreds if not thousands of people dialing into various different customer segments, you know, selling, selling all kinds of product lines. Talk to me about some of those other challenges. Like when you were just getting started in this space, like what were the things that you were having to deal with? Or what are some of those early, you know, hurdles that you had to get over yourself? Probably the biggest one is, and I think that a lot of reps can, can understand this is, is when you're in that big of an organization, it's easy to get lost. And so you have to find personalized challenges um, every day, every week, every month that that you're going to be accountable to and I, I was lucky i had a couple good friends who worked there i created some good relationships there and i don't think it was my team lead or my managers or the vp who were telling me to do stuff it was you know nathan sexton sitting across the the aisle from me who's challenging me or it was my guy jeff tucker two rows down who are you know we're gonna whoever does the best this week is gonna buy beers or whatever so we were very i would say competitive and that really helped me, A, get a sense of perspective like for today, but also at the time, you know, it's really easy to hide in big sales orgs. And if you don't have some folks to challenge you, if you don't have some friends to push you or can push yourself, it's really tough to make it. Um, and so, you know, that was one of the things that worked out well for me is that I had some competitive people close to me and we could all kind of rally around each other. I know when I, I spent some time at Oracle and you're totally right. It's, it's amazing to me when you look at the big organizations, there are people that have been there for 10, 15, 20 years, and some of them are great. 
but others have just been able to hide for that long uh, and still get paid very much like the movie office space, right? Where the guy's just down in the basement with his stapler, but you're absolutely right. So how were you holding yourself accountable? What's cool is I hear about people doing this now, like before we had any tools, we, we did use Salesforce back then, but um, you know, we were, we were sitting in this giant office, you know, you had accounts, you had um, territories to call into. You start tracking, you know, what I would do at least. I had a, a pad next to my next to my computer set up and you know, I'm tracking how many calls I made. I'm tracking um, if a call didn't go well. And then I would try to think like, why did it not go well? Did I ask a non-relevant question or, or did I not know the answer before I asked it? So some of these really simple things, but as a 23-year-old, I didn't really know them. I was kind of lucking into them or falling into them. But uh you know, that was a big thing that was, was important for me to like keep myself accountable, know what is working for me, what's not working for me, and kind of starting to understand that there's some science behind what I'm doing. It's not just showing up every day and like, I think we were supposed to make like 35 calls. Like it wasn't just show up and make 35 calls, show up, make 35 calls, but do I call people in Boston at 8.15? Do I call people in Chicago at 8.15, different time zones? Like starting to learn some of these, the nuances versus just coming in, slogging through the calls, slogging through the triage of email, and then leaving at 5.30 and coming back the next day. You know, trying to figure out some of those, the subtle differences that can be more effective. What were some of those subtle differences that you found that you just, once you found them, you're like, okay, this is it. I'm going to keep down this path. Definitely. Um, you know, in that world, we were selling to large, like large, for my world, I was selling to large businesses. So the executives I call, uh, and this is still true today, I think for our team, like important people get busy during the day. Their life is, uh, you know, in most cases serving the other people in their org. So you have to get them either early or late. Uh, so I always tried to call before folks got busy. I think about my day now. Once everyone else is in the office, I'm slammed. You can get me early in the morning or late in the evening. That was big. Rewarding myself, that's like a silly one, but this is in our product now, and I think it's like comical, but when things would go well back in, back in the HP days, we would like play, we had a PO song is what we would do. And there's like 10 guys or 10 people at HP, but... If you closed a big deal, you would like pl start playing a song. We didn't go ring a gong because that's silly, but we would start playing whatever <laughs> song we wanted to at our desk. And like you'd be you'd be rocking out. You'd feel awesome for three minutes. Everyone's kind of like high fiving you or recognizing that that's cool. And then you know you get back to it. But you have that little um, it's like a little do dopamine jolt, right? Like mm -hmm. you get this little bump of energy. It doesn't have to be like you close a huge deal, but we did that all the time. So like at least once a day, I'm doing something to pump myself back up, kind of pat myself on the back or pat other people on the back. And that built a little bit of, uh, you know, I think uh, that, that, that brought you a little bit more energy because, you know, another tip is going into a call. If you've made 35 calls or 60 calls or 100 calls a day and the majority of them haven't gone well. It's really hard to go into the next call smiling or Amen. or with that, you know, with that energy. So you have to do some things throughout the day to get the get the dopamine, get the blood flowing, stand up, smile, those type of things. And um, those little those little weird 
eccentric things actually work in my opinion. They do work totally. My my closing song is and, and has been for a while now, All I Do Is Win by DJ Khaled. And as you said, if you've, <laughs> if you've listened to this podcast, that is my intro and outro to the song. Because when I hear that, that dopamine hits and I'm like, yep, I just did it. I just closed that deal. But I remember back in the days of me being a rep and then I took it to the next company where I was a VP of sales. When whatever that person's closing song was, you just immediately saw them smile, even if you couldn't actually see them. And so now, like, I'll be listening to the radio and I'll hear one of my former reps' closing songs, and all I can think about is seeing them smile and close that deal. So I totally uh, love what you're talking about there. Now, I got to ask though, you said it was silly to ring a gong. I still like ringing a gong, my man. Okay. I'm not going to, I'm not going to totally disagree with you on that. I did not like the, practice and this may be more very specific to the two orgs i was in but if you've got a gong and it is like you're grinding every day you're doing a ton of activity calls demos meetings whatever i wasn't the kind of guy who's going to you know do a little google maps walk across the office to where like the district manager sat and ring the gong by his desk like i'm just i'm not into it and i don't care about any of the people who sat over there so for me, that wasn't, that wasn't very, um, I don't know. That wasn't a good incentive or That's anything fair. to get me pumped up. Uh, I do think the recognition of your peers being able to, uh, I don't know, have the confidence to be like, I want to be recognized or, or have that is great. I just like it to be a little bit like easier. I don't know if that's the right way of putting it. I don't know. What do you think? Well, so I I think it depends on the size of the organization as well. So I've always been in smaller organizations intentionally uh, until we were acquired by Oracle. And then obviously I got uh, eaten up by the belly of the beast. But, you know, when you've only got an office of, you know, let's say 50, 60, 70 people, like that's the entire office, not the sales team. It's just a little bit different, right? And so that gong rings and it's not a walk across the office. It's literally 10 feet from your desk. And everyone now knows in the organization that, that you just did something great. I, I just, it's again, it's, it's all of that, you know, kind of wrapped up into one for me. As a person who now has managed teams and has been on the other side, I want to make it as easy as possible for that gong to ring, whatever right. it is, whether it's an alert or, and that's a big part of our product that we don't have to talk about now, but like, However, I can get that that dopamine hit or that high five opportunity to happen. I'm going to make it as easy as possible. One of the things that that I still do now, you know, so now I'm a, a coach and I work for many companies. And when you've been working with me for a while, if you've got a team of any kind of scale, I, I buy real WWE championship title belts, right? The real love ones, it. yeah, I love that. Not the fake toy ones that you get at Walmart, but the real ones. And, but I don't, and and I'd love to have your opinion on this. I don't want to reward that for the most recent deal that has closed. I want to reward that for the activities. Cause as you said, it's hard. So I want to reward something that's going to get you to the next level that I know if you keep focusing on that activity, the outcomes are going to come. So oftentimes I might have a couple of belts. One is for the most recent deal, but one may just be for the, the person who's done the most X for that day. And they get the belt, they get the pride of wearing it. And again, they're focused on the the activities that they know are going to lead to the outcomes. Jim, I, I love that because like one of the things I think that gets, um, and, and like you're, you're in the situation all the time, so you get better perspective probably than most VPs who are just in their grind on their number with their team. Uh, you're seeing more situations. And we see this too, where you have to be really agile and there's a, there's a movement happening. This whole proactive management, more custom, customized targets, more customized alerts around what's happening on the sales floor, both from a 
percent to goal, activity leadership, um, you know, not just the most recent win or the most dollars in sales closed this month, but who has the highest delta period over period, like these type of things that are really customized and nuanced to the organization, I think are really big motivators because, you know, when you go into the majority of organizations and they have an incentive program going, that incentive program, I, I bet right now is disincentivizing or ignoring that's right 75 percent of the people like out of the gate so first of all if you if you have a couple different you know you know whatever you want to call them gongs or bells or metrics that are you know kicking off that that's better than most people and two if you can do those on a couple different layers where you're going to get more buy-in broader buy-in i think you're in drastically you know you're you're light years ahead of the average sales org. Well, and it's because, as you said, like once someone sees there's a leader that's so far ahead of the case, they just get de- disincentivized and they're, and demotivated. Like, why am I even trying? I can't catch him. So I don't want that silly belt anymore. I don't want to ring that silly gong or, or things like that. So I, I want you to talk, Brian, more about this concept of agile sales management. Now, obviously it sounds like it has its roots from, you know, product development and scrums, if you will. But, but tell me more about that. What is it that you're doing at your org? to roll that out or, or to be as nimble as you are? We really do believe this in our product and we, we try to advocate, evangelize, whatever word you want to use as much as possible. But it goes back to what you just said, which is understanding the activities that will, you know, call it, that are going to set up the objectives that are going to produce the outcomes you want. So thinking of the sales process as a funnel or as a, you know, as a, as a process, just like you would in, in product development and thinking, what do I have to put in at the top to get to the next stage, which, you know, for really simple SaaS organizations, maybe it is, you know, I've got to do a uh, hundred converse, a hundred phone calls to have 10 conversations, to have one demo and, you know, 50% of that time of the time that one demo is going to turn into an opportunity. That's really simple, but you want to obviously be making all of that data transparent, have people accountable to that kind of process formula, and then rigorously uh, track it, um, you know, adjust it as, as things change and incentivize improvement and, and, you know, effectiveness at every level. So that's like the biggest thing that I think we can help people in a very, very short period of time get better and they see major lift if, you know, any of those call it conversion points improve. As you said, they can focus in on each one of those and now start to really fine tune all the little levers as opposed to just that one big number that happens at the end of the quarter or end of the year. Absolutely. It's, it, you know, think back way, way back to whatever, fifth grade, sixth grade, when you're doing like science experiments and you have like a, you have variables, right? Most people are running incentives or contests or, or, you know, for a lot of folks, they're just running contests to do it. They're not trying to improve any specific variable or they're not using the data because it's maybe it's a little bit hard to think about, but it's like, you know, we're trying to get folks to say, here's the way that the formula, we think the formula lays out. Now let's, let's set a goal for this part of it and we'll see what happens versus the goal. Let's set a a contest or a challenge around this part of it. Now let's see what, what happens versus that. And if you're doing these things constantly and iterative, iteratively, 
you can make a lot of big improvements. And not only are your people going to be more bought in because they see it, but you're going to be able to pull those levers better because you can see it. You can control it. Well, I, I definitely buy this. And, and, and while this is not a commercial, Brian, for ambition, I, I'm curious to know what kind of feedback or not feedback, what kind of resistance do you get from, from organizations about why they may not do something like what you're talking about? Yeah, that's a good question. And, and the thing is, I tell people this all the time, like, don't, you don't have to use us to do it, do it in Excel, do it with a report. Like there are a lot of different ways to, to get this, uh, you know, to level 1.0, if you will. And I think the biggest, you know, the initial pushback is folks saying, well, I have reports. Why do I need something else? Why do I need to do anything? Or I have dashboards in Salesforce. Why do I need to do something different? And it's like, well, is anyone looking at them? Are you guys talking about them? Has it become part of the culture of your sales org to discuss this on a hopefully weekly, if not like daily basis, but definitely monthly basis? When we talked about it earlier, most of the time it's like, no, we talk about it quarterly. So folks are not having enough iterative cycles. That's one big pushback. The other pushback is, and I, I don't really believe this, but you know, someone will come in and say, well, you know, my people don't want to be tracked. And it's like, well, are you tracking, are you not tracking their performance right now? Are you not tracking like how many dollars they close or how many deals they close? And they say, well, yeah, of course. Like we have to compensate them. We have quotas. And it's like, well, you guys don't understand like how you get to, you know, point Z on the map and all the things before that. And they say, well, we do, but we don't want to put it, we don't want to put it in their face. And it's like, why not empower them? Why not give them the playbook and give them the map and say, here are the things that we think has to happen for you to hit this number. Now, you know, if you can do it a lot better, great. Like, but at least you have the map that we think is going to work. Does that make sense? It it totally does. And what I have found, Brian, is that uh, people, when they say they don't want to be tracked, what that really means is they don't want to be exposed. Right. And so (laughs) I'm not doing this out of a way to expose you, but I want to see that if we do these things, it actually happens. And so I've seen this even with some of the best reps, the best reps are the ones who they typically are the ones like, yeah, do it. Let's run it. Absolutely. And it's the worst reps that are not performing. They're the ones that don't want this because then it shows why they're not getting the outcomes because they're not doing any of the behaviors. That can be so frustrating too. And and then some of the ways that I think that, you know, it's not about just putting technology in front of people. It's actually educating people on why this could be valuable, right? Because And that's where, you know, folks like you can come in and, and hopefully great sales leaders and sales managers can come in and say, hey, look, it's not about me firing you or, or me saying you're not doing enough. It's that you can now run against this plan. It's like a, it's like a, you know, Apple watch or a Fitbit, like once you have the plan and you have the target and you have these daily bite size attainable goals, it becomes so much easier to, to hit the target you want, whether it's weight loss or a certain number of steps a month. But if you just come in and say, I'm going to hit a million steps this year hmm. and, you don't, and you don't look at the Fitbit for the next 364 days, that's right. I don't think you're probably not going to hit a million steps. Like, like it's probably impossible. We might go to the extreme there, 364 days, but a lot of this, you look at quotas, right? People, whether it's a quarterly quota, a yearly quota, whatever, they're like, yeah, I'm going to do that. And they don't do anything for the first month. The second month, they start to feel the heat. They're like, oh, I better start doing something. Then the third month, they're like, oh, oh, quotas do. I either am screwed, there's no chance I'm going to hit it, or I have to like triple my effort now just to have a chance. And if you just would have been doing those small incremental things every single day, you would actually be in a much better place. So 
Brian, one of the things that I ask of sales leaders on this show all the time is what they think that role of coaching plays, specifically in the top performers. Now, I've read an article here that you know you believe we're on the verge of a full blown sales coaching re- uh, renaissance. Talk to me about that. Talk about what you're seeing. Well, I really do, and it's it's something I get pretty passionate about because I don't think that when I was in the seat we had great coaching. No offense to the folks I worked with there, I just don't think they were. It was not set up to be. They were not set up to be great coaches. And one of the things that's exciting is that in the last you know eight ten years. Data is so much more prevalent on what's happening. So that was a big problem, I think, before, is that managers had to be analysts all of the time, right? You, you talk to a manager and they're like, well, you know, I'd love to spend more time sitting with reps or riding along with reps, but um, you know, I'm spending you know, 25% of my time running reports and putting reports into place that show me whether or not Brian or Jim or whoever is doing well. So at that point, I'm I'm just reacting to what I've seen. Um, I think part one is that we now have the data so that in real time, we, we should always know how people are doing, where they stand versus the targets, where they stand versus their peers, what specific, call it activities, or what specific areas of the sales cycle they are less than ideal, what they're better than ideal. And that's a huge part to originally get better coaching. Part two is that there's now places for all of this data to live. That didn't happen or that didn't exist in most cases five, 10 years ago where there is a, uh, you know, a repository or a usable, um, I don't want to say database, but there are places, there are products, there are apps where all of this can live. So it's not just, we had a conversation last quarter. We have the exact same conversation this quarter. Uh, maybe the my boss or my manager takes some notes on a notepad. Now that can live somewhere, and we can tie some not only subjective performance, you know, performance uh, goals or targets to it, but we can we can tie objective stuff to it, and we can say, did this happen? Yes, no, maybe so. Was that level what we wanted? Yes, no, maybe so. What are our immediate steps that we want to improve on or focus on going forward? And now we go, now we go execute on those. And I think that's going to unlock a lot of my, my hope, my goal is that that unlocks a lot of success for people. And that unlocks, unlocks a lot better careers than folks who maybe had the opportunity to be great, but, but weren't really coached in the way that would get them there. One of the things that I've seen from a coaching standpoint, there's been or two really biggest hurdles that I've seen are one being time and the second being skill. And it sounds like you're giving the time back and you're providing the data that allows for the skills to now actually come to fruition. You just said something that like, you know, you have like the light bulb in your head. And, and right now there's so much talk about AI for managers or um, machine learning for orgs and how that's going to improve. Really, let's just have the let's just get the data in real time that actually gives me a you know an actionable plan of what I need to do. It doesn't need to tell me, hey, go tell Brian to make more calls. That's really easy. That's not a hard problem. That's just statistics. Um, what is very valuable, in my opinion, is that the manager, like you said does not have to do it anymore. Now we're uncovering 20, 30% of their week that they can just sit with reps or spend in time in one-on-ones or a training session or a, you know, just being, you know, 
walking the aisle, listening, hearing our conversations going well. Are they going bad? And that to me is going to have a major, major impact versus, uh, you know, a magic eight ball or a black box of, of intelligence that goes and tells me you should have said this 30 seconds earlier in the call. That's not going to help me tomorrow. What's going to help me is does my manager understand the areas I can improve and do they have the time to help me improve them? Yeah. Well, and, and lastly, do they care? Right. <laughs> because, <laughs> well, hopefully they care. Yeah. That's well, but, but I think given, but yes, that is definitely key. For that's sure. right. Well, but one of the things that you told me, you know, has led to your success is your ability to listen to customers and empathize with their needs. Well, if you are a sales manager, one of your biggest customers is your reps. Yes, and so point. to listen to them and actually emphasize with their needs is a huge, huge deal that unfortunately I've seen too many managers not do. They come in at the end, you know, I'll use a baseball analogy. They come in, you're at the, the, the bottom of an inning. You just walked two batters consecutively and they're like, Hey, I need you to get out of the inning. And you know, they take the ball, they're rubbing it around. I need you to get out of the inning. I'm like, well, no shit. But I, I'm, can you not see that my arm's hurting and I can't throw strikes right now? Can, can you tell me something that you're seeing that I might be able to re- improve and do better? But they don't have the time to have that conversation, right? And that's the frustrating point. Oh man, I, uh, that's a great analogy because you know you can go back to that that kind of like reps are are all waiting to the end of the month. Managers are doing the same thing, right? Or quarter or whatever the time frame is. Um, and ideally, ideally, I think this is happening is that we're seeing that proactive movement happening where we know it's a pro- people know it's a process. People know that process has to be can you have to continually be accountable to it and if you're continually accountable if you're iterating on it if you're looking at what's working what's not working you can be a lot more effective and i, and I don't think that's just in sales I think that's pervasive everywhere but uh i think it's pretty exciting i think that hopefully reps are the people who uh who benefit the most and obviously you know companies are going to do well too Brian, I've got to take a quick break so I can say thank you to our sponsors. But when we come back, it's going to be time for the money round. So you don't go away. And sales sooners, you don't go away either. We'll be right back. Pipedrive is the sales CRM built by salespeople for salespeople. I love it because it allows me to visualize my pipeline, highlighting opportunities and potential problems, ensuring I don't drop the important activities and conversations needed. And the managers I work with love it because it's simple and they don't have to nag their team to actually use it. But sales sooners, don't just take my word for it. You can check it out for yourself for free for 30 days at salesooners.com slash pipe drive. We're back and it's time for the money round. Brian, are you ready for the money round? I hope so. Uh, <laughs> I've been training my whole life, so we'll see. <laughs> well, here we go. What's the one thing that has contributed most to your transformation from normal to exceptional? I'm insanely competitive, uh, probably most with myself than anyone else. So I'm constantly looking at myself, measuring whether I think I did well enough or not. And I try to push harder. If you were to start over today in sales, what would you tell yourself to spend the next 30 days doing? I would read books that took me a lot longer than I should have to read um, right now. Um, How to Make Friends and Influence People, Seven Habits of Highly Successful People, all of that kind of stuff that's foundational, I would read it day one. Two-part question for you here. Which phrase describes you best and why? I love to win or I hate to lose? I hate to lose. I wish it was the other one, but um, I think I'm a pretty good loser. I don't lose my, my temper or lose my cool, but I'm also not a real big celebrator. But if I do lose, I'm going to spend the next 
96 hours basically evaluating why and then i'm going to uh you know be mad hopefully be better but i'll be really mad for that 96 hours well you've already mentioned a couple of books already but what book have you read multiple times or always find yourself recommending to others i think ben harwitz book the hard thing about hard things it's a newer book but it's fantastic it gives you a lot of great history of not only business but but silicon valley for sure um Crossing the Chasm is also a classic book that I think any young person getting into sales, marketing, founding a company should definitely read. Sales tuners, if you'd like to check out Brian's suggestion of The Hard Thing About Hard Things for free, head on over to salestuners.com slash book. There you can sign up for a free 30-day trial of Audible and browse their over 150,000 titles. Again, that's salestuners.com slash book. Brian, what's currently at the top of your bucket list? probably owning an NBA franchise because that's what I'm nerding out about, you know, the other six hours I have a day. So that's up there. Brian, what's the biggest piece of advice you have for all the sales tuners out there grinding today? Another NBA shout out. You have to trust the process. Uh, Joel Embiid, awesome guy, awesome personality. I think that he's made this one of the best phrases in sales because that's a guy who's had a, a lot of setbacks, a lot of frustrating things over his career. If you're in sales, that's going to happen. A lot of no's, a lot of hangups, a lot of deals will fall through. Sometimes you can't control it. You just have to trust the process, keep coming back the next day, try harder and you know, see where you can improve. I'm going to get you out of here on this one, Brian. How could someone find you or connect with you after the show if they wanted to? Yeah, please hit me on LinkedIn. I'm active on LinkedIn, Twitter. I don't really do Facebook and Instagram, but Love to talk to you. Even shoot me an email. Um, I'm brian at ambition.com. Brian, this was fantastic, man. Thank you so much for joining me. Jim, thanks so much for having me. It was a lot of fun. Now I'm going to go look up a bunch of NBA stuff because my mind's racing about the Suns and the Pacers. But uh, this was fun, man. I really appreciate you having me. I'm pretty sure Brian and I could have kept bringing the conversation back to sports for at least another hour. But let's get to my top takeaways. Number one call executives early. There's been so many great takeaways on this show that I'm surprised this has never come up. But when you call on busy people, they are just that, busy. During the day, they are serving the people in their organization. If you want to connect with them, do it before or after everyone else is in the office. I can personally tell you that I get more email responses before 8am than I do the rest of the day. I've also been able to connect directly with my prospects on the phone before their assistants come in. Number two, Reward the little things that make up the big things. I love that Brian and I were on the same page with this. If all you are incentivizing, or as a rep, if all you are focused on is the end number or end goal, it can become very stressful when you don't hit it. You also waste a lot of time figuring out what doesn't work. By having shorter feedback loop cycles and focusing on smaller wins that create the big wins, we can all move mountains. Number three, track your own success. No one will ever care more about you than you will. I know they say what gets measured gets improved. And while it's true, it's even more important on a personal level. Forget the technology. Put a sheet of paper in front of you and write down your goals. Track your in-day performance and make notes to yourself about what's working and what needs to be improved. That's it. Those are my takeaways, but I'd love to hear yours. Please tweet at me at salestuners or shoot me an email, jim at salestuners.com. I reply to every message that I get. All right. I hope to see you next week. Until then, I'm Jim Brown. Let's make it rain. 
Thanks for listening to Sales Tuners. Stay up to date at www.salestuners.com. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes. And they stay there. And they stay there. Doesn't expecting the unexpected make the unexpected expected?